Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia coming to you with your next mental health moment. And today we will be discussing service above self, our active duty, veterans, and suicide. As I've discussed before, September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. And it's important for us to discuss a variety of groups who may be at increased risk for suicide. And that does include our servicemen and women and our veterans. You all have probably seen the 22 push-up challenge going around, which is a way for us to bring awareness to that 22 veterans per day die from suicide. Uh, it also is awareness in, in prevention in terms of Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, so drawing some attention to, to suicide prevention meth, uh, measures. And it's also just honoring our servicemen and women and veterans and their families um, because we all know that uh, when a person serves, their family serves with them, and that can be some challenges, which is part of what con uh, contributes to the suicide rate, which we will get into. So I'd like to start by giving some statistics uh, because I think it's important for us to know um, this information so we can share it with our loved ones uh, because prevention is always better than intervention. So suicide is actually the second, lead of, uh, second leading cause of death in our U.S. military populations, which is pretty high and it's consistent with when I discussed youth and suicide earlier this month, uh, that risk factor. So that tells you that it's, it's pretty high amongst the group. Um, uh, again, 22 veterans approximately per day complete suicide, and that is about 1.5 times the rate of non-veterans. And so that again shows you that significance there. Um, in veterans ages 18 to 34, so our younger adult veterans, the suicide rate went up nearly 80% from 2005 to 2016, nearly 80%. In our, in our young adults who are coming out of the military. 325 active duty soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines died by suicide in 2018. 325. That's 40 more than in 2017 and then its highest number since the U.S. Department began collecting suicide data back in 2001. So we're seeing these numbers go up not go down, which is alarming for us. Um, most at risk are actually our enlisted men under the age of 30. So, and, and as I talked about last um, episode in men in suicide, men tend to internalize more uh, and utilize coping mechanisms that can be destructive. And so they are not talking about their risk factors. They're not going to see providers. They are internalizing things um, which are causing them to be at higher risk, which is why their death rates are higher. Uh, and also 85% of the military is male. So you have more men, um, then that is going to drive that number up. Um, men die by suicide more often than women in general. Um, but female service members and veterans die by suicide at a higher rate than non-veterans and non-service members. So again, we still have higher rates even in our women who are either currently active duty or are veterans. The suicide rate for, for um, veterans who are women is two times um, higher, actually 2.2 times higher 
than the suicide rate for non-veteran women. Um, in 2017, there were 186 deaths among military spouses and dependents. So again, when one serves, the family serves. That's a good indication there of how families can also be affected. And we see those suicide rates going up in family members, um, including spouses and dependents of, of our active duty. So what are the risk factors? The risk factors you all are gonna see are, are pretty consistent across the board when we talk about what leads people to such um, agony and pain that they would consider suicide as an option to alleviate that. Insomnia tops that list. You all, if you've ever had problems sleeping, you know that that is something that affects you in so many levels. It affects the way you think, concentration ability, your energy level, your mood, right? So you're more irritable when you get less sleep. Um, you're, you're unable to really do the things that you want to do because you just feel so drained uh, every day. And you get to a point where you have such a hard time sleeping so many nights, then you dread even going to sleep because your fear is, I'm not going to be able to get any rest. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight, right? And then you start having anxiety on top of that in preparation for sleep. And then we find people not going into their bedrooms. They end up being on the couch or being in chairs, which is not good for your back. Um, and so then you end up having other issues associated with that. We know that in lack of sleep also increases weight gain. Um, so then now you're getting heavier and then it's even harder, especially if you've got any kind of chronic pain issues. And we know that sleep is restorative so that if you don't get adequate rest, then your body can't heal. So you just see this um, tumbling effect, if you will, of not being able to get good rest, just cumulative on top of everything else that you're dealing with, which is why insomnia is at, again at the top of that list. Depression, we're feeling hopeless, worthless, um, more critical, uh, not feeling like we're doing anything that's meaningful and purposeful, uh, not really having anything that we enjoy, and, and the importance of finding joy in your day, having something that you can do to make you feel as if you matter is so very, very vital. Uh, and, and when you're depressed, you just, everything almost has this kind of negative haze on it. So even stuff that you used to enjoy, you no longer enjoy. So it's hard to just get excited about things or find pleasure in things. So imagine that feeling, and then I have to interact with other people. I have to interact with my spouse. I have to interact with my children or my coworkers. What are those interactions going to be like? Either I'm not going to want to do them and I'm going to withdraw and retreat. I'll be in my room, um, not engaging with people or isolating myself at work, missing a lot of days at work. So again, we see, okay, now uh, we're getting into why people get to the point where they think, why am I living? What, what am I really doing if this is going to be my existence and the same with anxiety you get to a point where you just you just dread doing things you're afraid of even sometimes people don't want to leave their house um, or you're outside and there's all these noises that I think a lot of us are not necessarily aware of where where our military men and women our veterans they are so that sound that reminds them of a gunshot or or that smell um, that reminds them of decay. I mean, there's just so many things that can trigger a person. And so you get to the point where you just don't even want to go anywhere. You want to be in a controlled space, a controlled environment, not have to be on the edge all the time. Just imagine never feeling comfortable, like you're constantly keyed up. 
Um, and that is exhausting. So add that to the fact that I'm not sleeping really well, right? How am I going to feel? Not real great. And so when you're trying to talk to me, I might not really be in the mood to hear that because you have no idea what's going on. All my alarms internally are going off and they stay so elevated all the time. Like it's, it's just painful. Um, we know that sexual victimization, right? So we have people who are assaulted in the military. And, and notice that I did not say women because both men and women uh, are victims of sexual assault. And so I don't want to ever perpetuate this stereotype that men are not victimized as well. They're not assaulted as well. And they may not um, necessarily categorize it at that. They may just say it was an unwanted sexual experience or, or chalk it up to, I was drinking and just some things happened but that is still a violation of a person's body it should not occur men or women. Um, but then trying to deal with that, trying to talk to people about that and the messages that may be received back about, well, what were you doing that caused that? Or how do we know it wasn't consent, right? So it, people don't even want to talk about it because they feel like they get interrogated, they're not believed, or that they do go through all of the stress of reliving this and talking about this. And then their perpetrators are just moved. They're not um, you know, removed from the military. They are just simply moved to another installation. And so I might run into this person later on down the line. So it just feels like I can't ever be safe. Um, and so imagine that, or it keeps going on. There's constant harassment that happens. Um, constant, uh, constant, uh, references made to your sexual body parts or people passing by and touching you, grazing you in some kind of way, right? And, it, and and think about dealing with that every day and how you would feel about going into a work environment that had that kind of hostile climate. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what does that do to a person over time, creating just chaos in their lives like that, right? You, 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 get, you again, get to that point where you feel just helpless, um, Substance use disorders, we've talked about that a little bit before in the segment on men, but also just in one of the previous segments on uh, alcohol use in particular, we know that people numb pain. They're just trying to get through. And so getting through for them sometimes is using substances, which causes another set of problems. So now I'm showing up uh, to work and I'm inebriated or I'm high. Um, and so now I've been flagged. Uh, there are some, some, some problems that people have begun to notice about me. Or I'm at home. I'm a, I'm a veteran. I'm at home. I'm, I'm self-medicating every day. Um, I'm not getting out the house. I'm not doing anything meaningful. Uh, or maybe I am getting out the house, but when I'm out, I'm, I'm not safe because I'm, I'm utilizing these substances. Um, our older veterans may also be dealing with just that combination of aging um, frequently people don't address the physical, um, challenges that occurred while they were in the military, right? So, um, back problems, the neck problems, the knee problems, TBIs, part, uh, probably that, that weren't never, uh, or weren't ever checked into maybe, um, right. That push through, yeah, push through, just keep going. And so soldiers don't attend to themselves, um, because they're just taught like, Hey, you got to keep going have time for you to, to um, be over there getting checked out, right? So uh, service above self. And so frequently people get um, to a point where they're retiring from the military or 
Um, they don't renew, in the, but they never get all of these things checked out. And so now they're having, in their older age, all of these problems. And uh, you know what happens when we don't deal with stuff, right? It just gets worse. And so now that arthritis has kicked in, now I might need uh, total knee replacement or hip replacement or or I need back surgery, right? So I'm I'm feeling all of this pain every day. Every day when I wake up, I can't sleep. That might be another reason why I'm having insomnia because I'm in so much pain, but these things haven't been addressed and so they just exacerbated over time. Um, legal issues, right? We've mentioned the, the substance use piece, but what if I get in some trouble while I'm in the military? What if I get a DUI? Um, what if I uh, end up um, committing some kind of um, act of violence against somebody, a, a spouse or um, um, you know, at a restaurant or a bar somewhere and I get into it with somebody or I'm out at a club or, or um, football game or something and I, I punch somebody in the face um, or I'm dealing with child custody issues with my children because my spouse is like, you are different since you came back um, and, and from your deployment and I just don't trust you anymore. You're, you're, you're aggressive. You're waking up in the night. Um, fighting, kicking, and so, right? So then we end up having these legal problems that can end up being challenges for people too. And, and the amount of money that can be invested in trying to address these legal problems can be very overwhelming for people and cause them to, to not want to deal with it. Like, just never mind if I got to keep going through this or I got to keep going back and forth to court or we have these hostile relationships as co-parents or or um, as spouses or these divorces that we're going through that can that can be really painful. Um, those are those are challenges, not to mention the workplace. Right. So people are saying I'm hostile in the workplace. I'm toxic um, in the workplace. Uh, people are are not comfortable talking to me. They say I'm um, uh, uh, abrasive when I have conversations with them, especially maybe as I'm transitioning out of the military and I'm going into the civilian world. And, and people are like, like, why are you talking to me like that? Um, I'm not one of your soldiers. Uh, you know, people uh, will frequently say that. And so those kind of challenges can also weigh on a person. Um, it, it, in particularly when, when we have veterans who have most recently been discharged from the military, maybe there was a, a medical discharge or um, something happened or, or, or they um, decided to, to end their military career that transition back into a family or that transition back into civilian life tends to be one of the most stressful times in a veteran's life. So we talked about um, with men previously that those newly um, discharged veterans, the ones that are just fresh, if you will, into being a veteran are at the highest risk for suicide because those those challenges are just so great at that time trying to adjust and, and and figure out how to transition into this new life and it can be really difficult i think a lot of times we feel like it ought to be seamless but you're going from two different types of environments and now i'm having to get back and i'm having to um do trying to catch up if you will because life has been going on maybe while I was deployed or not as much able to be with the family and I'm trying to come back in and figure out what's my identity what's my role now in the family um when when my spouse maybe has been taking on so much responsibility and then there's that clash and then the kids could be really resentful um like well you haven't been there all this time you served 30 years in the military 20 years in the military right so um, I think that those challenges also end up um, being high risk factors for, for our, our, our veterans in particular. 
um, but also um, some of our military who may be coming back from deployments. We know that mental illness is always a risk factor for suicide. We mentioned the depression piece already, but um, comorbid, right? So the mental health and the, the chronic pain, the um, insomnia, uh, you know, maybe I've got the degenerate, degenerative um, disc in my back, right, and my neck. So then I couple all of those things together, and that just compounds on me as a person. And I think, like, how much can one person stand? I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm vigilant. Um, I'm, I'm having nightmares and flashbacks. Uh, I, I, I can't move without pain shooting through my body. I'm not sleeping well, right? So you can uh, begin to see how a person can just start to fall down into that darkness. Um, so what do we do? How do we support our our active duty men and women, our, our veterans, their families? Like, what can we do? Um, I think it's important that when we are talking to people about transitions, that they have a transition plan. And I know that as um, our servicemen and women are getting ready to to get out of the military. There are a lot of workshops they go to. Some people take in the information, some people don't. But even outside of that, um, get with your get with your therapist or somebody you trust, a support group, people who have already transitioned six, successfully, and really sit down and create your own plan. Okay, so what's going to happen for me when it hits me that I'm no longer? In the military that I no longer have that as my core identity. How am I going to manage that? Oftentimes we're not preventative. We think like, oh, I don't need all of that information. That's not going to apply to me. But it will. It may not be today, but it may be somewhere down the line. So I need to shift how I think about myself from um, service to others first to begin to be more self-focused, self-care. Um, what am I going to put in place for myself to feel like I have meaning and purpose? What am I going to put in place for myself to make sure I'm staying on top of any potential mental or medical health conditions? So those preventative checks with your primary care manager. So you need to get everything set up, your dental appointments, your um, your your annual exams for men. We, we mentioned that men often are at risk for particular types of cancer, but they don't get these screenings, right? Because people are avoiding like, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor and find out I have something. Um, that is absolutely not the best approach in that situation, right? So we want to stay on top of it because the sooner we get to it, the more likely our prognosis is going to be positive, right? So um, those appointments are important. That might be a neurological appointment. If you think you might have had a TBI, you had a concussion, or you um, blacked out for a little while, but you really didn't get it checked out, like go get a scan, figure out if there was any injury to your brain, right? So we can attend to that. Um, we know that adequate rest is important, which means that we need to have a sleep management program. So if you have that insomnia, there are some things that you probably are going to have to try and everybody's different. It can be very frustrating trying to get that sleep managed. That's one of the highest, um, or, or biggest complaints I get from, from my veterans, uh, is that they have problems sleeping. And so, you know, it's going to be a multi-pronged approach for some people. CBD ends up working for them. Uh, for some people, they try um, auditory um, and, and visual stimulator that they can use at night to help. Um, for some people, that is they are finding an exercise routine that works for them. Um, for some people, that is going to be yoga, mindfulness before bed, journaling. 
Um, they may try a bunch of different things, infusers in their homes with lavender, uh, may, may do that warm bath or shower before bed, um, figuring out a routine that will stop them from being so vigilant with the checking behaviors because that can interrupt sleep, um, making sure they're in a cool, dark room, making sure that the sounds are decreased in their environment, right? So just so it might have to change that mattress. I mean, there's just a lot of things that um, can affect sleep and again, can be very frustrating trying to figure out what works. Um, what medication might work. And that's why it's just important to work with probably multiple providers. Um, it's always great if you can have kind of comprehensive care where all your providers are in communication with each other and are working together on one treatment plan. But when that's not possible, you may have to see different providers, some through the VA. You may also have to go outside of the VA um, to see providers. So keeping that in mind, same thing for the pain management piece, because um, that's huge. And so it may be important to see different providers, um, see that neurologist, um, yoga for pain management. Uh, you might end up having to see a nutritionist to, to manage the weight because you're not able to be as active as you were in the military. And so having to eat a little different, that also might help with some of those chronic other conditions, diabetes, blood pressure, um, that, that you may now have since you've retired from the military or no longer in, right? Um, so those things are important. Um, and anxiety management strategies, um, getting on some, some antidepressants can be helpful for people. Everybody's different. And so again, finding those providers you trust and being able to find some things that work for you. Um, finding those meaningful and purposeful activities are super important. So whether you're going to volunteer uh, or maybe you want to coach or um, be a mentor. Uh, you might want to go into a second job. And so you might find another career opportunity, start a nonprofit. There are a lot of different options that you have, but being at home isolated is going to feed that depression. And what we want is for people to still feel like they matter. It, above all else, it is very, very important that we feel like we're purposed to do something and we're not invisible. Um, we want to do what is opposite of what was trained in the military. So we have to focus on those feelings and address that stuff that's within us and not just bury it and push past it. Right. So we want to find those support groups. Uh, I know a lot of people say they prefer to talk to other folks that have military experience. And by all means, there are a lot of resources for you to be able to do that. You can go through the VA, their support groups. Um, you can go through some of the um, veterans organizations that have been established for support. There are uh, military um, fraternities and sororities that you can get to be a part of. So you can find your people um, and not feel like you have to talk to someone who you think may not necessarily connect with you on that level. The problem solving skills are super important. There's going to be stress. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be things that you have to deal with. And so figuring out what's going to be my plan. Um, because I don't want my primary mechanism for coping to be going to substances. I want to be able to talk through my financial plan, right? Because finances can change and I might be in some financial stress. I, again, might have some legal stress. And so I want to be able to get some assistance with that. Um, again, Veterans Affairs can be uh, helpful for legal. Um, you can get an outside attorney. Uh, I particularly like uh, Veterans Defender. Attorney A.D. Winters is a great support resource. There's military legal assistance. So just kind of knowing about those things. And again, that's part of that transition plan. Just in case, just in case I need these services, let me already have a list of them typed up 
Um, I can put it on my refrigerator. It can be in my email so I can just quickly search it. I can save it in a document and just update it periodically because resources change. You might learn about new resources. But this way, when stuff happens, you're not just so overwhelmed. You're like, okay, wait, let me take a minute. I know that when I created a plan, we talked about some of these things, okay? We know that firearms is one of the major factors contributing to suicide, uh, right? Like, so having access and being in this state of desperateness and hopelessness and darkness and pain and despair, and I've got this easy access to this firearm, then, you know, it makes it a little bit easier for me to to take that firearm um, and use it as a means to complete suicide. So if I know I have risk factors and, and I know that folks don't like when we take away their guns, um, but if I'm honest with myself and I'm not in a good place, then I need to give those guns to somebody that I trust or somebody that I love and trust may say, hey, I need those guns, ma'am or sir, um, right? Or, or at least make it harder for me to access it so it's locked in a cabinet somewhere and maybe I give the key to someone else or I have to put the key somewhere. So that'll at least give me time to stop and think like, whoa, wait a minute, what am I doing? Let me call somebody before I go there. Um, those TBIs can be very uh, challenging for people in terms of memory um, and, and can be frustrating for loved ones when you're repetitive and you're not um, able to fire on all cylinders, if you will. So you may have to go to a specialty clinic, um, TBI center somewhere to get some support. Uh, if you have been uh, sexually assaulted, knowing your resources through sexual crisis, um, uh, sexual assault crisis centers, the VA has resources. There are support groups for sexual assault survivors. Um, the military has uh, some kind of advocate that is there for uh, a person that has been sexually assaulted. So checking into that resource, because often when we don't deal with those kind of traumas in our lives, um, and that's the same with combat related trauma, then that's going to keep coming up. It's going to keep showing up in ways in our lives that, that are detrimental to us. So again, that therapist is really, really important for that. Um, I think that probably what I would say to anyone is make sure you also take care of that dental care um, and know that those these uh, numbers that you can call for crisis, right? So we want to do total body wellness, make sure I'm sleeping, make sure I'm eating, make sure I'm taking care of my prevention type of services every year or every six months, whatever's recommended. I know we get tired of going to the doctor, but again, Prevention is always going to be better than intervention. Um, and, and when you get frustrated, don't just stop, right? Talk to your provider about, hey, I'm frustrated. I don't feel like we're making progress. I'm still in pain. I've done the patches. I've done the injection. I've done the spinal cord stimulator. I'm still in pain. What are we, right? So talk to your providers and then also uh, enlist their uh, support for finding additional providers. Like we are very happy to help you find someone else if we're not what you need, we're not going to be assaulted, insulted or offended. Most of us. Um, and, and we want to make sure that you're getting good care. So here's two uh, crisis numbers, because I think those are very important. So we have the Department of Veterans Affairs Veterans Crisis Line uh, for our veterans. So 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. And you're going to press one. And then that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, 
888-888-8255. And I've talked to you all before too about uh, psychology today. You can, you can get on there and look and find a provider, put in whatever parameters you want, male, female, um, experience with veterans, sign somebody that, that is a veteran um, or has military experience, right? So those kind of things you can put in to feel more comfortable. You can now see us, you can Google us and get information about us so that you can find a good provider uh, who is a fit for you. And, and with us being able to do these type of services via telehealth, um, then you can also uh, eliminate if there's transportation issues or mobility issues as a barrier to being seen, right? Um, so you can get that good culturally competent care. That's important. Uh, so we know that military matters and it's really important that you all get the support you need and the care that you need and recognize that even after your service, we still value you. We appreciate your service. Thank you for all that you've done to protect us. Um, and we also want to make sure that we do what we can to support you. Okay. Be encouraged.